Krishna Krishna Hare Hare Welcome. Now we're going to begin our new series, which is called Living a Life of Total Forgiveness. And before we start, I want to explain to you why we're doing this. And this goes back about five years. And I attended a seminar in which the person asked us to forgive. He said, think of somebody that you have an issue with, some somebody that you have res resentment for, someone who's hurt you. Then think, well, that person, he was probably just doing the best that he could in that situation. And understanding that, just drop it. Just let it go. It was a short exercise. It only took five or ten minutes. And so there were actually more than one person that I had issues with. I don't want to get into the details, but these were things that I was carrying with me for, for probably like 10 or 15 years, things that were very upsetting to me. And so I decided that, well, what this person was saying, it did make sense. Why should I carry resentment? And these people were in difficult situations. I may have done the same thing if I were in their shoes. So I just dropped it. And very, a very interesting thing happened after I dropped it. I, I, I saw that there was much more energy in Krishna consciousness to do devotional service. And I saw that the resentment that I was holding on to was actually draining me of energy. And it was, you know, the saying, once burned, twice shy. So having been hurt, I was afraid in many ways to give myself to others, even in Krishna consciousness. So it was quite amazing. And then I thought, there are probably many devotees in my shoes that, that are holding on to issues of resentment that are upsetting them in some way, subtly upsetting them and affecting them. Maybe they don't even know. Or they're conscious of it and how it's affecting them and or upsetting them or holding them back in some way or draining energy in some way. So then I thought, well, actually, I didn't. I didn't think at that point of doing a class on forgiveness. But what happened subsequently, I heard a talk, an interview of a pastor who teaches forgiveness. And the interviewer has him on his show every year. And they speak about forgiveness every year. And the interviewer said, you know, whenever you're on our show, your show rates in the top three shows of the year. And I think, I think they actually have a show every day. Yeah, they do. So, or at least five days a week. So, 250 shows a year, it rates every year in the top three. And then the pastor said, he said, the same thing is true when I give a sermon on forgiveness. It's always rated as my most by the people as my most favorite sermon, the sermon they get the most out of. So I thought, well, that is interesting, that this seems to be an issue that is relevant to practically everyone or to many people. So then I thought, okay, Based on my experience of what what I gained by giving up issues that I had with people, letting them go, and based on what I heard on this radio show and the popularity or the relevance in people's lives of forgiveness, the need to forgive, I thought, well, let me develop a seminar. So I actually developed a seminar. It was a full-day seminar, about six or eight hours. And the goal of the seminar was for devotees to identify an issue they have with an individual, and then to go through various processes in order to release the resentment, the anger they have. And one of the things that, one of the primary things that we realize, both myself and the attendees, is that the resentment that we hold really doesn't hurt the other person, it hurts ourselves. And sometimes we use resentment as a means of punishing. At least we think we're punishing them by by talking ill of them to others, speaking ill of them, or perhaps hoping that whatever they had done to us would happen to them, someone else would do it. Or if something bad happens to that person, thinking, well, they deserve it based on how they treated me and perhaps not even feeling in any way bad if something bad happens to them. So that's a contamination in the heart to, to hold on to those types of feelings, those types of emotions. So so 
the realization that resentment hurts us more than anyone. It was very fundamental to the process of forgiveness. Another thing which is fundamental, which I found fundamental, if you study Srila Prabhupada's books, you will find that he talks about forgiveness as a, a primary or principal quality of anyone practicing spiritual life. That it's not not an optional quality. Well, you can say I can forgive up to a certain point, but if a person has done something beyond the threshold, which which I would consider unforgivable, then it's okay not to forgive them. But that's not actually how it's how Prabhupada presents it. Now there was another another thing, very interesting thing that I experienced that also encouraged me to develop this course. And that was that whenever we study a subject such as forgiveness or, or freedom from anger or even things like humility, qual- when we study qualities, either we study them through verses which describe the qualities that we should develop, encourage us to develop the qualities, or we study them through the lives of people who exhibit those qualities. One thing I noticed that happened and it happens quite often, is there is a disconnect between the head and the heart. In other words, you can study a subject in depth from all angles. You can read stories about people who exhibit the qualities which you've studied. But it doesn't necessarily mean there will be any change of heart. It may all simply remain intellectual, that you understand, I should forgive, I understand the importance of forgiveness. I I know the stories. I can tell you all the stories about great devotees who've forgiven. I may even be inspired by those stories, but it may not relate to the personal issues I have in my life. And and this is what happened to me, and that was of great concern. I was very inspired by reading the story of Takur Haridas. Takur Haridas, you may know, Takur Haridas was he was born a Muslim, but he was. Nam Acharya, he was the Acharya of the Holy Name, and he was being honored because he was a Nam Acharya, chanting the Mahamantra. And the Muslim community was very upset about this because a Muslim had become a so-called Hindu, or a so-called Muslim had become a so-called Hindu, but Takaridas was born in a Muslim family. So they were afraid that many Muslims would convert. So Takaridas was ordered by the government to be killed by being caned publicly. And so what happened was in the center of a village or a town, he would be taken and, and he'd be, he would be shown, this is what happens if you're a Muslim and you chant Hare Krishna, this is what's going to happen to you. We will cane you to death. Beat, beat or whipped, caned or whipped. So they did that and Takahari Das didn't die. And I believe they went to a total of 21 marketplaces, and they're beating him, beating him, beating him, and he wouldn't die. So, what was happening while he was being beaten is described in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, and it's ex- it's ex- very, very wonderful, and it's very, very inspirational. While he was being beaten, he was praying for the welfare of the people who were trying to kill him. Can you imagine that? These men are whipping him with the intention of killing him. And he is praying for them. Now, in this world, there are so many bad people. There are so many dishonest people. There are so so many people out to cheat and take advantage. Even in the name of religion. Even in the name of welfare. So when I heard this story, I thought, this is so wonderful. Here is someone who's being beaten, and he's not only forgiving them, but he's praying for their benefit, praying for, for them to be blessed. Very inspiring story. And, and I personally was extremely inspired by this. But the interesting thing was that even though I was inspired by this, the issues that I had with certain individuals who I felt had hurt me or disturbed my life in some way, for which it was 
difficult for me to forgive. The issues I had with them remained even after being inspired by hearing this story in the Chaitanya Bhagavat. I thought, this is, this is concerning that I could be inspired, but still it's not affecting my heart. We have another story in the Bhagavatam, the story of Ambarish. Ambarish was a king, and he was, uh, Durvasamuni had come, and what Ambarish was doing was that he was fasting. Uh, he was doing a codice fast at the time Ambarish came, and whenever, excuse me, Durvasa came, and whenever you have a guest, you have to feed the guest, honor the guest. That's the proper etiquette. So Durvasa said, I have to bathe. When I finish bathing, then I will come for the meal. And Ambarish was, was, had a conundrum because he had been fasting, and whenever you do a fast on a codice, there's a certain time you need to break fast to make it successful. But that time was going to come after, excuse me, that time was going to become come before he was going to feed him. And the etiquette is that when you feed a guest, you eat afterwards. So now he had to eat something before he was feeding his guest. So he consulted some Brahmins and they said, well, what you can do is drink water. And because drinking water is considered breaking a fast, it's also considered not breaking a fast. So that way you can consider you've broken your fast at the same time you won't offend him by eating before him. So Durvasamuni had mystic power and he understood that Ambarish had offended him. Excuse me, had offended him. Ambarish had taken water. And so Durvasa was offended by that. said, oh, you have broken your fast. You have broken your fast before you fed me. He was so upset. Durvasa Muni can become very, very angry when he's upset. So he created the demon. He was a, a demon that was going to kill Ambarish. But what happened was that the Lord protected Ambarish and he sent his Sudarsan Chakra after Durvasa. And then Durvasa realized he had committed an offense. And and he went to Lord Vishnu begging for forgiveness. And Lord Vishnu said, no, you must go to Ambarish and ask him. So anyway, he went back to Ambarish Maharaj and asked for forgiveness. And Ambarish Maharaj said, you, you haven't done anything wrong. It's my fault. But he wasn't just saying that. He actually felt that. He actually meant that. That he felt that he had committed the offense. He took total responsibility. He didn't say... Oh, right, Durvasa, since you're asking for forgiveness, I'll forgive you. Rather, he said, you have not committed any offense. So th these stories are very, very inspirational. And, and one of the things that I realized by hearing these stories was that I realized why, it wasn't, why I wasn't able to give up my resentment for some of the people in my life that I feel had offended me. One of the reasons was because I was thinking, well, this is Thakur Haridas and this is Durvasa, uh, and this is Ambarish Maharaj. They are exalted devotees. These are great devotees found in the Srimad Bhagavatam. I am not like them. I am an ordinary person. So, in a sense, not consciously, but I would say subconsciously, I kind of wrote off that I could be fully inspired by them to act in the way they acted because they were in a different league than I am. So I could only understand their actions as an ideal, but not as something that would practically do anything for me right now. And, and that was a big mistake. But it's a reality I think many of us experience. We read about exalted devotees, and then we think, that's them. It's a nice story, something I can aspire for. The other thing that inspired me to do the course was that I realized that that often we think that we don't need to work on problems that we have, but what we need to do is work on our sadhana, our devotional practices, and that way 
will become purified and transcend those problems. Or, those, or we will develop the opposite qualities and therefore those problems will just become dissolved, which is true, but it's not entirely true because where we get thrown off is, let's say we have a problem. In this case, we're talking about resentment. So let's say we have ill feelings, resentment, anger towards another person. And we might think, well, if I execute devotional service, eventually I will become purified and that anger, that resentment will go away. And then in that thinking, then we think there's no real need for me to focus on giving up that resentment in my present stage. Or we'll think I couldn't do it anyway. That's not, it's not a proper understanding. Just like we have in Shishashtakam, Lochitana says, Trinadapi sunichena tororivasahishna amanina mandadena kirtaniya sadhari. So Mahaprabhu says, You should chant the holy name, we should chant the holy name in a humble state of mind, thinking ourselves lower than the straw in the street. We should offer all respects to others and not want any respect for ourselves. Now, if you look at that, you could say, That is not possible for someone who is practicing devotional service. That's only possible for someone who is on a high level of Krishna consciousness because on this high level of Krishna consciousness, they're going to naturally respect others. They're not going to want any respect for themselves. And they're going to feel themselves like, the like a low living entity. They're going to feel that others are better than them, which is, of course is true. But it's interesting to know that this is this verse is given in the beginning of the Shishashtakam. And that means Mahaprabhu is saying in this mood, in this state of mind, we should chant. So basically he's telling this instruction wouldn't be for the, for those who are already humble because they wouldn't the, the great devotees who are humble, wouldn't need this instruction, would they? We need that instruction. Why would Mahaprabhu instruct us, if we were already humble, that we need to chant in a humble state of mind? He's instructing those who are not humble that you need to be humble in order to chant the holy name properly. So, what does that mean? You find in Bhagavad Gita, there are so many instructions that we should be a certain way or we should not be a certain way. We should do something and not do something. And the very things that we're being told to do and not do are the things that pure devotees do. So so then we could think, yes, when I become a pure devotee, I will do them. But the point we're making here is that we're told to do them now. And that is how we'll become pure devotees. And if you chant in, in a humble state of mind, Perhaps it's not full realization of humility, but if you chant in a humble state of mind, or at least make the effort to honor others, not not seek honor for yourself, then your chanting will be elevated. And then in that state, you can come to, to actual humility based on spiritual purification. So to, to give a simple example of this, the most simple example, two, I'll give two examples that are very simple to understand. We chant the holy name. Every day we chant the holy name. From the very beginning of our practices of bhakti, we begin chanting. But we know that a symptom of a further advancement in Krishna consciousness is, is known as ruchi, or taste. And as one's taste increases, one's chanting increases. One wants to chant more and more. Now, it would be foolish to say that I'm not going to chant until I come to the stage of ruchi, taste, because when I come to the stage of ruchi, I'll naturally want to chant. Because obviously, the answer would be, well, you won't get to the stage of ruchi unless you chant. Even though you may not want to chant, or you may not have a taste for chanting, you won't get to the stage of ruchi unless you chant. Makes sense, right? And we all understand that. We would think it foolish if someone said they're going to wait. Well, how will you get to ruchi? How will you get a taste if you don't chant? Similarly, we need to act in the way, presently we need to act in the way 
which we want to develop in the future. If we act humbly, that helps us develop humility and it also helps our bhakti. If we give up resentment, if we give up criticism, it helps us execute bhakti. It, it, it increases the power of our bhakti, the, the quality of our bhakti. So we need to employ the qualities ultimately to enhance our bhakti, which will then, as a byproduct, help us naturally develop the qualities. There was also, uh, to, to emphasize this point, I heard a lecture, I was present, and Prabhupada said, they were talk, talking about developing devotional qualities, and he said, you should see how your devotional qualities are developing. So he wanted us to be conscious of that. And then you also have story in the Chaitanya Charitamrita that there's a temple called Gundicha in Jagannath Puri, and they have a festival every year where they clean the temple. So that story is described in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, and what they're cleaning out of the temple is compared to the dirt within the heart. And then Prabhupada describes different different kinds of contamination in the heart, which we need to be conscious of and need to weed out. At least you could say, well, how can I just weed it out? Well, one of the way, what we're talking about here is devotional practice. You practice. You practice, for example, living purely. You practice glorifying devotees. You practice not not criticizing devotees. You practice not being envious. You say, well, maybe I am. Maybe I'm envious. There's envy in my heart. Of course, not maybe. I am. But I practice not manifesting that. I control that. So in the same way, when we talk about forgiveness in this course, we're, we're not saying that you can achieve this level of complete forgiveness on a realized platform. But we are saying you can practice it. You can practice a life of forgiveness total forgiveness. You can actually do that. And that's what we're talking about. Sadhana is a practice. So we want to practice forgiveness. Even even I feel like, well, I don't have it in me. But you can practice it. You can do it. There are principles you can practice by which you can understand whether you're acting on the level of forgiveness or you're acting on the level of resentment. And I, I can promise you, and I've seen this many times, if you give up resentment for another person, you'll be so much more inspired, so much more peaceful, so much happier. I've seen it in the seminars I do. Sometimes you can actually see, it's like it's almost like a ghost left somebody. You can see a change in their, their face and the energy. It's just like this, it was like a toxic substance holding on to resentment, holding on, because, it, because it's, it's not the heart of a spiritualist. It's, it's not the heart of a devotee of the Lord to be holding on to grudges and to and and to envious feelings towards others and, and to be resentful and, and hoping something negative or bad would happen to someone. You know, a, a devotee, what what is one of the predominant symptoms of a devotee of the Lord, a spiritualist? It's his compassion. Compassion even for those who hurt him or her. So you can see. It's 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 not if you're practicing spiritual life and you're holding on to something such as resentment. It's a paradox, and it and it's like you know, like trying to paddle upstream or climb a mountain with weights on your feet. It, it's just it's not. I would say it's it's not something optional that you can hold on to. Don't don't see it as well when I become more advanced then I'll be able to do it or I'll do it later. Don't think of it as something optional. Think of it as something that you you need to do because it's a contamination within your heart which is holding you back and think of it, it as something that you can do now. And so this is this is extremely important. This is all part of the introduction before we even get into anything because I, I want to set these foundations for you and then um, we'll have some questions before we before I go further one of the one of the biggest obstacles I've seen devotees face in dealing with forgiveness is just simply the the belief or the feeling that they they can't forgive they've been hurt to such an extent that they just can't forgive and we spoke about this last week in the last 
section on vows, the the I can't, I can't do this. And what I found fundamental for anyone to forgive is first they have to come to acknowledge that they can do it. Because if if they don't acknowledge this, then they can't go any further. It's, it's already written off. And I just want to be here to say that you can do it. I, w- I want to tell a couple stories just, just to help encourage you. Th- that I was told when I be- was doing my developing my seminar, a devotee who knew me sent me a story about a woman who had a son who was at a bar. And the son was, I guess he was trying to pick up on another woman at the bar, another young girl. And he was touching her. And she got very upset. And she actually killed him. And so, you could imagine how a mother would feel if her son were stabbed to death just because he was touching a girl in a bar. The amazing thing was that this mother decided that she would dedicate her time and energy to help this girl. Of course, this girl was sentenced to life imprisonment, or maybe she was sentenced to death, I don't know, but at least life imprisonment. And this mother became her therapist. I thought, that's such an amazing story, that that a woman could actually do that, could actually feel that much compassion for this girl who was obviously disturbed, feel so much compassion that she would dedicate herself to help this girl. So that inspired me because this was not a story of Thakur Haridas, this was not a story of Ambarish Maharaj, this was not a story of Prahlad Maharaj forgiving his father, blessing his father, even though his father is trying to kill him. This was a story of what we could call an ordinary woman. She doesn't seem very ordinary, but ordinary in a in a general sense, not uh, not that she had any background as a great nun or history in her family. Just just a woman, what we would call an ordinary woman, who acted extraordinarily. So I, I found that story extremely encouraging to me because it's more like a peer, a person we can relate to that has done this. And, and it goes back to my point I, when we feel, I can't, I can't forgive. I was hurt so deeply. I was so deeply wounded. What this person did was so harmful, so inhumane. Whatever we may feel, you can, you actually can. There, there's no, there's nothing. I'm not saying that there's nothing in, in that's stopping you. There Obviously, there are things stopping you in the in the present, but... Ultimately, there's nothing stopping you. You you can do it, and that that's fundamental. You can't go anywhere in forgiveness if you don't accept that. Now, I'll give you an example I gave this last week. You have a pen. You see the pen, and you put the pen in your hand. And so think think of this pen as resentment, and the pen's in your hand, and you're holding on to it. And and you've been holding on to this pen for a long time, and it, it starts to feel comfortable, because this is how you punish that person. This is how you get back at that person. This is how you point your finger at that person. This is what this person did to me. And you could use that even as an excuse while you're failing in life because this person did this to me. That's why I'm failing. And so you just, you know, your whole, your whole life story can evolve around this resentment, this pen. And so you're holding on to it. And so you might feel like, well, if I give up this pen, then... My story will collapse. I have, I'll have no excuse. I'll have no one to blame, which is often the reason why we don't want to give it up because I can use the pen as my excuse for failure. I can use it as my excuse for being angry. I can use it for my excuse for my resentment, for being upset. I can use it as my excuse for anything. And then we've been holding on to it for so long. And then now I say, open your hand and drop it, which is very easy. And you say, I can't. That feels too uncomfortable to let it go. This is, this is the weapon by which I punish this person. 
This is the weapon I use to punish this person. And you're asking me to let it go? And I say, yes, you can, but you have to choose to. You can. It's not connected to you. Resentment is not connected to your soul. It's an emotion. Emotion means what? Emotion. Energy in motion. It's an energy. It's going through you. You can drop it. You could drop it right now. You could. You could. You could. No matter how you've been hurt, you could drop it. I'm not saying you you will be able to tonight, or next week or next week. But I'm saying you can, and that's fundamental, because if you think you can't, you're stuck. Now, there are reasons we may think we can't, and a lot of those reasons evolve around beliefs we have about forgiveness. Now, for example, I'll give you a simple belief that many of us have. Often when we're hurt, we are waiting for the other person to do what? Right? Who knows? What are we waiting for the other person to do before we can forgive them? Anybody out there tell, could tell me? It starts with an A, and it ends with an E, and it has a Z in it. It has a P in it. Sam, sorry, yeah, apologize. <coughs> yes, apologize. We've been hurt. We feel hurt. We feel angry. We feel resentment. And we're waiting for the person to apologize. Now, the problem with that is the person may not even know that they hurt us. They may have no idea that we're upset. And therefore, if you're waiting for them to apologize... They're not going to apologize because there's nothing to apologize for. And if you believe that you can only forgive some, someone when they apologize, then you're going to hold that resentment for your entire life. And maybe you're thinking, well, it'll go away. It will lessen itself. It's not always true. It may be true. It may not be true. My point here is, that's a that's a system of belief that you have about forgiveness that the person has to apologize. You may have another belief. A belief may go like this. If someone commits a minor offense to me, I can forgive them, but if it's a major offense, I cannot or I will not or it's not acceptable. Wherever that comes from, that could come from your family, it could come from a religious institution. It can come from teachers, it can come from so many ways, but we have a belief. If it goes beyond this threshold of severity, they cannot be forgiven, no matter what. So then you come, then because of that belief, you're stuck in the I can't. So you see, if you examine your beliefs about forgiveness, you might find something that you believe that's preventing you. I'll give you another example, preventing you from forgiving. Sometimes resentment is handed down through generations. You may have been handed down resentment for a certain ethnic group. Generational resentment. In other words, you, you, you may personally have nothing against a particular ethnic group or religious group, but your parents do. Your grandparents do. Your great-grandparents do. And your great-great-grandparents do. And it was just handed down to you. So therefore, you grow up hating this class or group of people. Your belief is those people are bad, your people are good. And so, whatever they for do is unforgivable. You cannot forgive them because your belief is they're bad. And, and, that they are bad. And so, you've inherited this kind of resentment. So therefore, you come to the point and say, no, we cannot forgive them. Now, What's important, and you might be sitting there looking at this and saying, oh, that's easy for Mahatma to say. He doesn't know what happened to me. He does not know what happened to me. Okay, now, it's important, very, very important to understand that punishing an individual, acknowledging, acknowledging that an individual has done something wrong, taking legal action against an individual, doing whatever is necessary to deal with an individual in the way they should be dealt with according to what they've done, and forgiving them are not mutually exclusive. 
because I know some of you are thinking, if I forgive them, I'm letting them off the hook. If I forgive them, they'll do it again. Because I've done this seminar so many times, and, and this, this always comes up. Because we tend to think forgiveness means letting someone off the hook. It doesn't have to mean that at all. For example, in the story I told before of the mother whose son was murdered by this young girl, this girl was in jail. This lady was helping this girl in jail. This lady was not trying to get the girl out of jail. This lady could have prosecuted that girl, put her in jail, and then gone to jail every week to help her. You see? And when, when I looked at this, then I began to realize that actually, if a person needs to be punished, if a person needs to be dealt with, the best way to deal with them while you're taking them to court or whatever you're doing is to forgive them because then you can actually deal with them in the most compassionate and proper way because there are no ill feelings. But at the same time, for that person's benefit or the benefit of society, they will need to be dealt with. So punishment, dealing with them, forgiveness, they're not mutually exclusive. So it's important to understand that. If a, if a person has done something wrong to you, you can let them know that what they did was wrong. You can also let them know that I personally hold no grudges for you. I, hold, I harbor no ill feelings. I don't condone what you did. I may You may even take them to court. Or I, I may not acknowledge you as a person that I would want to befriend any longer. I, I may have no, no longer any respect for you, whatever the case may be. But at the same time, you can let them know, personally, you've forgiven them. You've, you have no Ill, Ill feelings in that way. So it's, it's not, it doesn't mean that when you forgive someone, it means you have to have a relationship with that person. It may mean that, but it doesn't have to mean that. Well, what if I forgive this person and then uh, are we trying to uh, reestablish a relationship? No. You you may forgive the person and let them know that I really want nothing. I forgive you for what you've done, but I, I don't want to be close to you because of what you've done, because of how you've hurt me, whatever. So that's important in understanding the getting over the I can't part of it, that you can still maintain a safe distance and you can give up your resentment. Because again, if we go back to this point, the resentment, the anger, the envy, the hurt, all of that, it's here. It's within us. And that's what we're carrying around. That's a contamination within our heart. Now, if we take it even further, a stage further in the Bhagavatam, it said sometimes when a person is hurt, if they blame the other person, they may be equally to blame by blaming them because they may not understand that they've done something for which they deserve to be punished and that other per person was just a vehicle for their punishment to get a reaction for what they did. So that sounds, it sounds very uncompassionate in a sense. But in, in the broader sense, because we understand that all our suffering, all our enjoyment is due to our past actions. If we can see when a person hurts us, if we could see it as, I must have done something to deserve this. This person is just a vehicle of my karma. For me to be to blame him would be foolish. For I, uh, as Bhagavatam says, I am to be blamed if I blame him. But rather think, this has come to me, something I have done, now, let me learn how to deal with it in a Krishna conscious way. And this is the, the value of forgiveness. Because forgiveness, like tolerance, it gives us an opportunity to elevate ourselves, to practice tolerance, to practice forgiveness. When we are hurt, we want to retaliate. But if we practice tolerance, we practice forgiveness, then we won't retaliate, but we'll act as a devotee should act. And, and in order to act that way, 
we're going to need to be more Krishna conscious. So the hurt can actually help us because we're dealing with something very difficult and if we learn how to deal with it, we'll become better. We'll become better people. Okay, so that's my preface to this course. That was like a 40-minute preface. I want to go back if you have any questions. Do you have any questions? So let's start with, uh, can you go up a little bit? I have to go back and look at your chat, see if there's anything there. Let's read it. Where does it start? There? I have to read your chat a little bit. Okay. At least the chat which is relevant to what we're speaking about. Um, okay. Okay, Bhakti Jeff says, this is, this is great because I've been wondering where forgiveness lies in Krishna consciousness. Generally, I've been thinking if I just keep chanting, then naturally I will forgive. Someday, hopefully, if your chanting is good enough. But, you know, it's, it's I would say <laughs> anything, we should not wait for tomorrow to do, to do, to act the way a devotee should act today. You know, I mean, the whole, if, you, if you think about the whole process of purification, we come in impure, and at that point, when we take up the process of bhakti, then we're meant to act purely from that point. We're, we're meant to, you know, in a sense, fake it. For lack of a better word, fake it until you make it. So Prabhupada, you know, he taught us, be enthusiastic, even about the things you naturally are not enthusiastic about presently, because that will help you. So I, I may feel offended by someone and may want to say something nasty. I don't. I tolerate it. Or I may even serve that person who offended me. I don't really feel like serving them, but I know I should because it's the right thing. So I try not to take offense. I try to serve. I try to appreciate their service. So that's sadhana. We're not acting according to our impulses, but we're acting according to what is proper. So we should never wait and think someday when I become Krishna conscious, I'll be able to act in a certain way. That may be true in a, in a limited sense. Uh, yes, when you become Krishna conscious, there's certain certain things you cannot do now. Experiencing ecstatic symptoms, that cannot be artificially done, although people try to do it. But there are things you can do now in terms of behavior, in terms of practical actions. So... So RT is asking, what if a person doesn't want to forgive? <clears throat> then <clears throat> first stage, we have to get over, we have to get over the I can, I cannot forgive. So if you get over the I cannot forgive, if you acknowledge I can do it, then you're acknowledging I can do it if I want to. So now you're at stage two, which is I don't want to. There are three stages we have to get over. One is I can. The next one is I want to, and the third one is, well, when are you going to do it? So we get over there, I can't, by acknowledging, yes, I can do it if I want. Here's the pen, right? I can drop it if I want, but I don't want. So now, the reason we don't want is because the pen is with, the pen, the resentment is how we punish the person. We want to punish the person. So we have to, we have to consider, what is that doing to me as an individual? What? How is that contaminating my heart? How is that disturbing me emotionally? Because whatever form of resentment that I have for this individual, whatever ill feelings I have for this individual, whatever anger I have for this individual, I'm the one every day, 24-7, who's carrying that in my heart. I have to bear that burden every day. Do you really want to bear that burden? Is that something you want to carry around? I mean, imagine you're carrying it around for five years. That's a heavy burden to carry around for five years. Wouldn't it be better just like tonight, just let it go, if you could, if you know how? Then carry it around for another five years and hope it goes away, or ten years, or maybe it won't go away in ten years. It's, it's, it's likely it'll be there to some degree unless you consciously deal with it. So do you really want to carry that around? You're saying, I, I don't want to forgive you. Is it is it more important to you to 
have ill feelings towards this person, person in some way punish this person. It, it said that forgiveness means to give up all hope for a better past. Forgiveness means to give up all hope for a better past. Interesting, isn't it? So when we're holding on to this resentment, we're holding on to something that happened in the past, which we wish it hadn't gone that way. But it had. It's already happened. And we're in the past wishing it wouldn't have happened that way. So we want to give up all hope for that better past that never happened. And it is said that when you forgive someone, you finally release not that person, but you release yourself. Because as I said before, often that person doesn't even know they offended you. So you actually release yourself. By forgiving them, you release yourself. And often it is said that we can't forgive because we can't forgive ourselves. Have you ever done something so bad that you don't even forgive yourself for doing? So often people don't forgive others because they have not learned how to forgive themselves. So think of the, I can't forgive, I don't want to. Those are two stages you have to overcome. So we go, so we say, I can do it, I want to do it, and then we deal with, okay, when are you going to do it? At least you acknowledge the two stages. You have to come to those two stages. I can do it, I, I choose to do it, I want to do it, when? Okay. Okay, that question, Bhakti Jeff. When I think about how something happened to me and get a moment's clarity on the futility of keeping that grudge feeling, I try my best to let it go. And I feel a release from that pen and love towards that person. But it's never fully, completely erased. That's what it feels like. This is my own desire to keep a little left. Yes, <laughs> a lot of times. You see... Just you have to meditate on this point that resentment is our weapon by which we punish the person. So you remember I, I've taken up the pen. This is your resentment. So think of this maybe as like a a weapon now. So okay, I'm gonna let it go, but I'm gonna hold on to a little weapon, maybe a little pin, and I can just pin them. Ah You know what that person did to me? Ah, you wanna tell somebody about it. There is a checklist to see if you for you've actually totally forgiven it. And one of the one of the ways you know you've totally forgiven is you never tell that story again to anybody. Because whenever you have an issue with somebody, there's a story, right? This is what the person... I can tell my stories about the people I forgave. This is what they did to me. I have my story, right? You know you're forgiven when you no longer want to tell that story. You've dropped it. It's gone. It's passed. It's out of your heart. But why do you want to tell that story? Because that's how you punish them, by telling the story. Now, let's say you told that story ten times. You tell me that story ten times. And after I hear it ten times, I say, Bhakti Jeff, could you sit down with me? I really want to talk to you. And for the next eight hours, I would like you to tell me that same story again. But instead of telling me it in five minutes... I would like you to tell it to me in 30 seconds. And what I would like you to do for the next eight hours is tell me that story over and over and over and over and over again in its 30-second form. What do you think would happen after about 20 minutes? You'd probably start thinking, this is really stupid. And after about 30 minutes, 35, you probably couldn't even tell the story anymore. You would just think, this is like really stupid that I'm still telling this story, that I've carried this story with me. So that's, that's the point we want to come to, to realize that we have better things in life to do than tell stories about how people hurt us. We want to tell stories about how we help people, not about how people hurt us. That's what a devotee is, isn't it? Isn't that what a devotee is all about? 
Do we want to we want to talk about how to help people? We want to discuss with one another, inspire one another, how to help people, what we've done to help people. Do we want to sit around and, and talk about how we've been hurt? At some level, yes, we want to do that as therapy to get over it, but not perpetually. And I, I can guarantee for most people, if they had to tell their story that much, at a certain point, they would just start to think and realize, this is really stupid to continually hold on to the story. So that's what we're doing. Resentment means we're holding on to the story and we're telling it over and over and over again. As I said, it becomes our mode of operandus, our excuse for why we are what we are. Why are you not successful? Why are you not achieving this? Why are you not? Because when I was seven years old, my mother said this. When I was 12 years old, my father said this. Uh, 10 years ago, this devotee did this to me. Or this person said this to me. Or 15 years ago, this is what happened in the Hare Krishna movement. Is that we, we have all these, all these people and situations to blame for where we're at. We don't want we we don't want to do that. We want to we want to serve our spiritual master. We want to serve Krishna. We don't want a list of reasons why we're not serving Krishna. We want to figure out how we can serve Krishna. And in figuring out how we can serve Krishna, Guru and Krishna better, we'll inevitably come to the realization that we cannot hold on to grudges. We will come to that realization. We cannot hold on to grudges because it's simply going to hold us down. It holds us in, in, in a very negative frame. And it ties us to this situation that happened many, many years ago. And that situation is still affecting us today. It's still playing out today in our lives. That thing that happened, that, that I was hurt 10 years ago, my life's still being affected by this person. It's like it's like I have an, this person is anchoring me and, and everything I do is anchored it's controlled in some sense by this person. You don't, you, it, there's no reason for it. So, you, so the reason I call this class Living a Life of Total Forgiveness is because we, we don't want to forgive 93%. It's like if you have cancer and the doctor says, we'll cut out 93% of it, would you be happy? No, you want 100% cut out. So the same thing. You want to forgive totally. You don't want any of it left. So... Should for, uh, April says, should forgiveness be taken in baby steps for those who harbor pain? And if so, is it a day-by-day? Day, on a day-by-day? You've got to move it over so I can see. I can't see. Um, is it a day-by-day day basis that one should realistically use as a goal? That's a very good question. And it's different for different people. In my seminar on forgiveness, it lasts six hours. And my goal is that at the end of six hours, you will have dropped it. But it depends on who you are and how deeply you've been hurt. And I would say in my seminars, 80% of the people, 85, they drop it within six hours. And I, I do things that are very therapeutic to help them. For some people they need to deal with it a little further. As I said, if your beginning stage is acknowledgement that you can do it and you want to do it, that's going to speed up the process. I would I would suggest you look at any beliefs you have that you, that you can acknowledge that are making it difficult, like the beliefs that we discussed. I, I can't forgive unless they apologize. I can't forgive for certain offenses um, and so on. And is it a day-by-day? Day? I, I could say on a day-by-day day, day day basis, yes. And after you forgive, it's still on a day-by-day day basis. That you, you see, once you forgive, you have to continue to forgive. You have to live that. Otherwise, it can, it can come back for sure. So if you, if you come to these classes, I think we'll do about at least six of these. And if you come to them, then we'll give you processes. And now... Um, it's a good thing you brought this up. I want to want you to go to my website, which is www.tstrain.com and then go to newsletters. I believe one newsletter is there, Living a Life of Total Forgiveness. It's something like that. And there may be 
There's about 40, 45 newsletters there, and they're all titled, and there may be another newsletter on forgiveness I can't remember. So I wrote them like two or three years ago. There's definitely one, Living a Life of Total Forgiveness. And you'll find that extremely helpful. That will give you some, you know, what I've seen in, in the work I've done with forgiveness, I've seen that for many people, it's kind of like a nut that is stuck to a screw and it's kind of rusted and it's 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 a little difficult to get off. So you have to get some WD-40, you have to get a bigger wrench, you may need help, someone else to hold the screw. And you've got to work on it, put a lot of pressure on it. And And some people's resentment is like a screw that's really on tight and really rusted. And it's really, really hard in the beginning to get it loose. But once they get it loose, you know, when once you get a screw loose with the wrench or the pliers, then you can just take it off with your fingers. And it comes off. So I've seen in the courses I've done that once we get it to a certain point, then it's like, okay, you feel so much better. You just want to get it off. And we, the things the things that which you will read in my article and the things that we'll be doing for the next six or so sessions will be like that WD-40 in the wrench and it'll be loosening it. It'll be, it'll be coming a little bit looser and you'll you'll feel each week it's going to be more possible to let it go or more of a desire because really, really you need a desire to want to let it go. And so at a certain point we're going to get that bolt, we're going to get it really loose. And you're just going to be able to take it off if you want to. So there's, I I can forgive, I want to forgive, and then, well, so when will you do it? So that's, you will do it when that screw is loosened. So read the article, stay tuned. So, Slemshi, Hare Krishna Mahatma Prabhu, accept my obeisances, all glories to Srila Prabhupada. Thank you so much for this wonderful class. I have a question. Please forgive my inability. To present my question, I have been disappointed with the devotee's action and it has been hard for me, for me to get over it. Yes. we. I think we all have been in this situation and, and I think one of the, one powerful way to deal with this is just, is just to realize that it takes a lot of energy from you to dislike somebody. It actually takes energy from you to dislike somebody. Negative energy, not positive energy. You have to put out negative energy. So I'm, I'm not denying that you were hurt by this person. But now that you're hurt, to hold on to that, it requires a certain kind of energy. And it it's, it's actually draining you. So what, what I would... What I would suggest for some of you is just let's say, just let, let's say for tomorrow, do an experiment and say, tomorrow I'm going to take this resentment and I'm just going to drop it, at least for the day. I'm just, I'm just, I'm going to drop it. I'm going to forgive that person. I'm just going to, as best I can, I'm just going to let it go. Just that person, they have their own history. Who knows how they were brought up? Who knows why they said what they did? Who knows what was going on in their life at the time when they did what they did? They're probably just like me, just trying to keep things together. And they may not even know what they did, or even though they did it, they may not have been controlled. Whatever. I'm just trying to, trying to be a compassionate devotee and and a, a humble devotee and a generous devotee. So tomorrow I'm just going to drop my... Any ill feelings I have towards them, any anger... Any resentment, I'll just drop it tomorrow and try that on. See how that works for you. And if that works for you, continue on Thursday. And if that works, continue on Friday. You see, we have to create a new pattern. Now we have a pattern of holding on to resentment. We have to create a pattern of letting it go, turning it the other way. It's positive energy. To be a devotee, we have to have this positive energy, not this negative energy. This negative energy, it's it's just, it's Maya's way to keep us in this world. I'll tell you a nice story. This is a really wonderful story. You know, Srila Prabhupada once said that 
to be a guru is a thankless task because it is the nature of a devotee that he will never criticize another devotee. But when you become guru, you have to criticize. So he said it, it's it's like being a guru is, is contrary to the nature of, of Vaishnav. So I just heard a story today. My godbrother told me that Srila Bhakti Siddhanta was approached by one of his disciples and the disciple was criticizing. He was complaining to Bhakti Siddhanta about a particular disciple. And Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur said, he said, the spiritual master has to criticize the disciple. He doesn't want to. It's a thankless task. But he has to in order to correct the disciple. But you're not a spiritual master, so why would you want to criticize that person? Interesting, isn't it? He was saying, I have to do that because I'm the guru. It's a thank